You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 81 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. What's new in your world? Um, the sun was out today, Val. It made me very happy. I took oh, yes. Stella out. Oh, Stella, your scooter. Stella, my motorbike. Oh, and motorbike. I went, yes. Sorry, <laughs> motorbike. <laughs> Got a sound a bit tougher than Scooter. And uh, it was lovely. It was really nice to get out, have a bit of a day off. I really enjoyed it. What have you been doing, Val? What have I been doing? <laughs> well, I did do – you last episode, in fact, possibly the episode before, you challenged me and you said that we need to show people the view from my office. Oh, and my God. that I would do a time lapse. So I did do a time lapse and um, – the view, you'll be able to see the view, but it wasn't one of those spectacular sunsets. However, I did the time-lapse on my iPhone and um, I have a Minion cover, you know, from the yes, Minions yes. Um, on my iPhone, so it's got legs and stuff. So it it's not exactly um, uh, horizontal. <laughs> so I propped it up with a shoe and you'll see it. I will... I will uh, uh, upload the um, time lapse and put it in the show notes, which of course you can find at ginamilitia.com, M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And I will put the uh, time lapse there, but you'll see that from the first, you know, two seconds, it falls off the shoe. <laughs> so it goes from being the right, you know, horizontal angle yeah. to a little bit crooked. A little bit, a little bit crooked like you today, Val. <laughs> well, no, a little bit crooked. And I didn't notice until the whole thing was over, until it was dark. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Well, that I'm, I'm impressed, Val. I'm yes. very impressed, I, so, even though I haven't seen it yet. But at least you got out there and did it, and I hope this is the first of many. Well, I didn't get out there. I actually put it in my office window. Oh my god! Well, I, I had to. I couldn't get it out there and leave it all alone in the big white world. How long's the time lapse go for? Oh, all afternoon. Oh, all afternoon. Oh, right. You did the full-on time lapse. Yes, from afternoon to night time. Wow, that's impressive. Yes, and so it's not the best angle because, you know, I didn't go right up to the appropriate spot, but it was too cold. It's winter here. You could do like a time lapse every day, like you could get another phone, a spare one, like an old one, and just set it up in a spot, like maybe prop it up on a proper little tripod. Yes. And just every day when you get to the office, you just set the time lapse, and then each night as you leave, you post your 
time lapse of the day. That's actually not a bad idea. It's I, a great if idea. If I had a spare phone, I would do that. But yeah. it was, it was um, no, I gave my spare phone away. But uh, it, that is a good idea because sometimes the sunsets are amazing and sometimes when the storm rolls in, it mm. looks like Armageddon yeah. coming and it looks like the Harmer Bridge is going to explode. Yeah. So, yes. And you could be like webcam for that part of Sydney. Yes, I could. I'm sure there are many other webcams, that official webcams that people can tap into. Yeah, I know, but not that you can see a time lapse of. No, that's and true. And, like, you know, you'd have sort of cats walking by the frame and <laughs> it, it's sort of the, the fact that it's not quite on the right angle that, that gives it character and personality. Yeah, well. that's, it's yeah, like character. no one else is going to do a time lapse like you would. Where they fall off, where the camera falls off the shoe that has been propping it up. That's it. Yeah, okay, no problem. I will post the time-lapse in the show notes. Uh, and But instead, let's get on with this week's podcast, shall we? Sure. <laughs> so this week, the topic is what you can learn from the masters. And I love this uh, because this is the masters of photography. But before we get into that, we have a few shout-outs, don't we? Uh-huh. So um, this week uh, amongst the podcast community, I've been noticing, and in fact over the last few weeks, Val, a yes. lot of new, a lot of shopping has been going on. I've been and noticing that I, too. Have you been noticing that too? And it's like, have we, have we been a bad influence on people? <laughs> it's just like it's gone crazy. It has. Maybe um, it's, it, it's been, you know, recently it's been the end of financial year in Australia, not so much I was much thinking that exact thing because yes. I realised it was the 1st of July too late and because I had all this stuff that I wanted to, to buy and I'm like, mm. oh, I missed it. And yes. then, well, maybe that's got something to do with it, but it's not just our Australian um, listeners. It's all over the world. So it's yes. like new new cameras have been a big thing, uh, people showing off their new pride and joy and then new lens purchases. There's been heaps and heaps and heaps of new um Lighting gear purchase, particularly uh, members of the gold community have been upgrading and getting new uh, octoboxes and big soft boxes, Val, like the big ones and uh, all sorts of uh, accessories there. And um, also uh, there's been some booms purchased Mm. uh, instead of the uh, having to use voice-activated stands (laughs) all the time because I think the long-suffering partners of a lot of people are getting sick of being asked every time they go out. First they think, oh, I'm being invited out everywhere and then all of a sudden it's like, can you hold this? So there's an ulterior motive. Uh, So, yeah, they're getting booms instead. But, like, I think it's really exciting. I love seeing all the new gear and I love seeing how supportive everyone is of each new purchase because it's like – we all get that high when someone yes. buys something. It's like we're all <laughs> excited for them and uh, it's it's a great thing. Yeah, and it's great to see the results of those things with the new lenses oh, and stuff God. particularly. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, I mean, I always say like gear doesn't make the shot but, but like, you know, when uh, there's this stuff that you really want to do and you've got your heart set on it and certain things like a new uh, light modifier or a boom helps get you there or, or a, a lens that like makes you uh, get just that little bit closer to your subject, then, uh, you know, it, it is exciting. Yeah, very exciting. 
So we also have a shout out to Paul Chapman. Now, Paul, who's in the podcast community, said, tried some self-portraits today. First time shooting tethered, which made it so much easier. Took a few with my umbrella box and square softbox, but it was quite tricky to get a shot without reflection. So I MacGyvered a new modifier with a milk bottle and got a nice, soft, warm light. And because it was quite small, it was easier to keep the reflection out of my glasses. Now, we'll post the photo of uh, Paul in the show notes. It's a great photo. And also post the photo of the MacGyvered milk bottle, (laughs) which is very clever. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And it's like not a single reflection in his eyes either. And uh, I've been um, keen to uh, have a crack at this sort of uh, light modifier for a while and even try the uh, the big gallon one or the four litre, you know, the big ones. And so yes. you can make a big ball sort of thing. And like then I was going to do a bulb. blog post and called it My Milk Bottle Softbox Brings All the Boys to the Oh, 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 oh my god i don't know what to say to that i'm sorry so perhaps good on you paul and i'll just move on so um thank you so much for uh the couple of <laughs> itunes reviews oh my god i can't concentrate in particular we want to say thank you to uh, Sharon Ryan, who has said, wow, I didn't expect to find such a great podcast on photography. Gina, Militia and Valerie, who deliver great info in real person terms, giving us insight into a professional photographer's life, mind and workflow. So informative, educational, funny and down to earth. Thanks, ladies. Thank you, Sharon. That's awesome, Sharon. Thank and you. David Rook has also given us a five-star review and has said, this is easily the best photography podcast on iTunes. If you listen and practice the advice from Gina, your photography will improve in leaps and bounds. That is so true. Um, Valerie is an awesome interviewer and keeps Gina on topic. This makes for a fun and entertaining podcast. If you're an amateur photographer who wants to improve their skills or the professional who wants to increase their income, this is the podcast for you. Wow. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you so much, David. That's fantastic. And you know, it's like, it's not easy to leave a review on iTunes, is it, Val? You've got to, like, yeah, jump through a few hoops. And, yeah. like, we appreciate it so much because yes. iTunes have this complicated math algorithm that they use to um, do the ratings, don't they, Val? And yeah, it's, to do it's the like, rankings. And the rankings. And so every time one of you leave a review, it helps us so much. It's so It helps us get seen by so many more people. So really appreciate it. Yes, so if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd be really, really grateful. Mm-hmm. So this week's topic, the best photography lessons from the Masters. I love this topic. What made you think of this, Gina? Oh, it's been something that's been on my mind for a while now, Val. Hang on, I'm just checking. Like Gary's found something in the bin here. Okay, is it like Nutella? Well, I reckon it is because he's just yeah. like been quiet for too long. So I'm just going to move the bin out of his way. Sorry, people, for that. <laughs> Real some, like, life old, podcasting as old it happens. chocolate here or something. Now he looks really disappointed now. Just so we're clear to any new listeners, Gary <laughs> is Gina's dog. <laughs> He's just like had half a kilo of chicken too before we've gone to air. So, yet he's still like he's a bit of a guts. Um, Maltese Shih Tzu dog, so we're clear. um, (laughs) 
Yeah, so um, I think, um, can I start with a couple of quotes, Val? All right, then, go on. I, I can't stop you. Uh, so you can't know where you're going until you know where you've been. Okay. And the other one is it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Oh, I love that. How good is that? That's a great one. Yeah. So I think that um, studying the work of uh, the, the, the masters and, and their genres is, is one of the best ways to improve your photography because um, he's kicking up a fuss now. Oh, Gary. Gary. Gary's the, the, the third party in this podcast, as many people will know if you listen regularly. He's always up to no good and uh, he's always doing something and, and shaking, you know, so we can always hear his bling because he's got a lot of bling being Gina's dog. Is, is Gary okay now? Yeah, he's got something that he's, uh, no, he's happy. All right. <laughs> Studying um, masters. So um, the, getting all the technical side of it, um, after you've got all of that, that's when I believe that the, the real education in photography begins because it's like... You mean you can, once you've, after you've, once got you've the mastered the technical right. side, then it's, it's finding um, your own way to interpret photography and to make it your own. And I think uh, to do this, uh, going back and uh, having a look at what uh, everyone uh, before you has, has done and how, how they've achieved it, particularly those photographers that have gone on for a, a while and been around, uh, I think it's a, a really, really useful thing to do. And all artists throughout history have uh, have have done this and studied the masters before them, and and um, sort of uh, being able to 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 look at that and bring it into your own work and can give it a depth that uh, you wouldn't normally be able to get on your own. Yeah, right, definitely. So, what kind of masters should we be studying? Well, I think it's like uh, I'm going to give you a few of my favourite because okay. these photographers resonate with me personally. But I think it's just a matter of maybe um, getting online and uh, ha having a look and having a look at uh, – you'll know when you see, you will recognise – that work and say there's something about this guy or there's something about this photographer for, for this reason that I love. Uh, but, but there's certain ones that are probably worth studying um, just because uh, what they've done is so groundbreaking and exciting. So I've listed a few of those today. But, but also um, try and get as sort of a, a broader range of photographers if you can and try and like I think even on your lunch break just jump online and if you can't get out there with your camera and shoot – uh, just research, uh, you know, one a day, spend five minutes going through studying their work and, and um, have a look that way as well. Yeah, and, you know, definitely get online, but also if you have the opportunity, go to, if your library has those sorts of books, photography books, or go to yeah. one of those bookstores that stocks quite a lot of photography books because sometimes getting an entire book as opposed to just five images online in a blog post or something mm. can be so much more educational and satisfying as well and you learn so much more about that photographer's style. Um, and I'd like to say also that the it's one thing to admire the photography of someone you know or someone that you've found online and you should definitely do that. Anything that resonates with you, definitely, you know, use that to fuel your creativity. But 
one of the things I love about this idea is this is studying from the masters. Yes. From people who are icons in photography, not mm. just who have, you know, recently come to photography and got some social media following, not that there's anything at all wrong with that and whose photographs are great on social media. Like I said, still study those as well, but there's something about studying the masters which can add that extra depth to to your work. So, okay, who is on your list, Gina? All right, so today I want to talk about Robert Kappa, mm -hmm. who was a war photographer. I want to talk about, and I need to say this in almost uh, reverential terms, Annie Leibovitz, who we yeah. know I love. Yes, yes. <laughs> and again, Herb Ritz, who we yes. know I love. And we're going to also talk about uh, Richard Avedon, Yes. A great fashion photographer. And uh, finally, we're going to discuss, as I scroll down, Robert Frank, who you and I, Val, back in 2010, went to one of his uh, exhibitions in New York together. Ah, yes. Do you remember Wonderful. that day? Yes, I do. Mm. Wow. Mm. Oh, now that I see the photos, I do remember that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it stood out in your <laughs> All right. So what have you learnt from each? Let, let's, let's start with Robert Kappa perhaps yeah. because you mentioned him first. What kind of photographs did he take and what drew you to him and the photographs and what did you learn? So... Um, Robert Kappa was a war photographer and he actually uh, single-handedly changed the style in, in which war photography was done. So he would actually, whereas in the past it might have been like shots from a long way where they'll be like documenting what was happening, like you'd see all the troops running across the field, but the photographer would be safe and protected like a fair way back. Robert would actually um, get in the trenches with the soldiers. He'd be fighting alongside of it. So he was there shooting it and like he he photographed um uh, many world world wars and uh battles in africa sicily and um in and italy for life magazine so okay. he wasn't just observing what was happening he was there he was in it he was uh, uh, you know living it um yeah. and sadly he actually died young at the age of 41 when he um as a result of a, a like a war injury so okay. like he was there you know and uh it, it, he really, he, you know, he died for his art. So um, the things that we can learn from, um, he, he, like, he put him, he, he puts you into the image, like you're there, you're experiencing it, like you're seeing firsthand what it would feel like to be a part of that, that like that war. So, like, that in itself is, uh, like, you know, quite exciting. So um, as, as a photographer, what can you learn? Um, like the one quote that he says uh, that, that's often quoted by Robert is, if your picture isn't good enough, you're not close enough. Right. Which I love from him. So get in, get close. So like, you know, maybe if you're shooting an event or a wedding, what could you do? Like uh, how could you be like Robert Kappa? Well, get in there and be a guest and do it as the perspective of someone who is actually at the wedding, mm. not a spectator who's there at the sidelines, but someone who's there. So like if you were photographing 
the bride and groom at the bridal table, you might want to maybe uh, sit at the table with them and do a shot there. And I've seen that done and it can be quite powerful. Uh, when they're having the dance, you could be like on the dance floor in amongst them. So there's just yeah. the swirl of action uh, happening around them. Or maybe you're photographing a toddler and her puppy. You could be at eye level uh, with the toddler while she plays with the puppy so you're sort of seeing the whole uh, experience from her level rather yeah. than towering above her, you know, or put yourself in the middle of a crowded room or on a train or, you know, just to make sure that, like, you're part of the event that happens. I love that. Be part of the event. Be one of the people in the event. I love that. Instead of yes. just sort of documenting the event. Exactly. Don't stand back. Put yourself in there. Like, you know, be, be part of it. Yeah, definitely. All, All right. right, who do you want to do next? Okay, so uh, let's do uh, Annie next, um, okay. who I love. And hang on, let me just um, make sure I've got my notes in order here. So um, Annie Leibowitz um, found a way to photograph celebs in a way that had never been seen before. So um, Annie could get uh, people to do stuff for a camera that no one else could. And she revolutionised uh, single-handedly, like created a new style of photographing uh, celebrities. So she, yes. she worked for Rolling Stone and then she went on to work for Vanity Fair. And when she was working for Rolling Stone, she created these iconic images. She thought in a way like b- before they were very set up, they were very staged, they were yeah. very uptight images prior to Annie and then she comes along and she's what she did which was really amazing then and uh like all the celebrity stuff that you see today and this is why it's so important to go back and study the masters like every single celebrity shoot that you see today um is in part in the style that it is because of Annie Leibovitz, because of what she did when she started. So, like, and she would collaborate with the celebrities. So she would sit down with them and she'd talk about, like, how she saw them and they would come up with ideas and she was never precious about, like, you know, hang on, I'm the photographer, it's my way or the highway. She would listen to them and, like, here you've got some of the the greatest creative minds in the world. Yes. uh, These creatives coming up with ideas, of course you're going to listen, you know. And so she's coming up with these great ideas and um, she did uh, some amazing things and, um, like, she famously uh, shot uh, Yoko and uh, John Lennon uh, on the on the day that John Lennon was uh, murdered. Like she did that famous shot where um, Yoko. John is um, curled around Yoko in the fetal position Mm -hmm. and uh, that was supposed to be an editorial and then that night he was murdered and uh, the next day they made it the cover Mm. and without any text or anything and, and, uh, you know, and and then from that, that that is so iconic and then from Mm. then on they had to like top that and she just continued to do all these great shots. Uh, One of her most iconic shots was um, of uh, Demi Moore. Yes. Pregnant and nude on the cover of uh, Vanity Fair. Now, that shot in itself was an editorial shot as well, Val, Mm. and it was supposed to be inside the magazine. And, um, you know, as they were shooting it, Demi had said to Annie, wouldn't this be amazing for the cover? And they both looked at each other and they went, nah, that'll never happen. Mm. Anyway, um, 
the editor saw the shot said it has to go on the cover. Like they put it in a brown paper bag. It mm. caused such an outrage and it made every single newspaper in the country. And then from then they had to try and top that. So she then had to go from try and uh, top each shot and she would. And they, they just kept getting um, better and better and better. And so she would do like Bette Midler in a bed of roses, Clint Eastwood tied up um, and uh, all these amazing shoots. So she was intense and um Ricky Goldberg in milk in a bath yeah of milk. yeah 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 so before she worked for Vanity Fair she did things like she toured with the Rolling Stones and she was so naive at the time when they the, the Rolling Stones asked her like she was a young photographer come on the tour with us for a few months she's like yeah yeah I'll do it she took her tennis racket along because she thought she'd have time to play tennis mm-hmm. right and then and then, and then she realized mm-hmm. she was with them 24 7 and they got so used to her being around that she became invisible and so yes. she get, get, got famous shots of like Keith passed out on the floor which was like common you know she should get there because they wouldn't notice her there and so she she managed to to see show a side of the celebrity that no one else got and 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 it's it's like the, the you know the the with celebrity portraits it's um we, we all see that the glossy side you know Annie manages to get something else, which is uh, fantastic. So um, the follow-up, interestingly enough, of the Demi Moore uh, pregnancy shoot that was so huge, they had to top that. They did a nude uh, painted shot where Demi was uh, painted with a suit. Yes. Do you remember that shot? Yes. Um, So... The follow-up, she had 13 hours in makeup. They had two beach houses on hold, four Bel Air mansions, uh, four mobile homes and four hotel rooms on hold during that day in that shoot in case they changed their mind. Right? In case they changed their mind in from case, doing in the case, body paint. In case, in, in case like that location didn't work, they had another location in mind. So that's how big the shoots became. Uh-huh. Like they were just uh, massive. So... Um, you know, it, it like someone should teach her the concept of make the <laughs> most of what you've got. <laughs> make the most of what you got. So, um, I don't what, think you need two beaches and four bel air houses and four mobile know, homes and four hotel like, rooms to achieve you know, that shot. I've seen that this, shot. This, and and here's the thing, Val. I saw all those. Uh, you would have seen the Annie Leibovitz ex- exhibition as well. Yes. Um, I went along and saw that exhibition and. Um, you know, you look at the images today and you, you kind of say, eh, sort of, you know, um, technically you go, ah, they're okay, but it's not that. That's not what it is about these shots. It's the fact that she got those people to do what they yeah. did. That is yeah. what is incredible about Annie Leibovitz. And yeah. I think the mistake a lot of photography students make is they're like, yeah, 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 but they could have put that light there and she didn't light that. That's underexposed. It's got yeah. nothing to do with it. That's not the impact That's of this true. shot. This is her skill that she could get anyone to do anything and and, and they would and, and the way that she spoke and collaborated with them, you know, was, was her thing. So the takeaway with Annie Leibovitz is when you're doing a shot, tell us something we don't already know about that person. Yes. You no, know, shoot in a way and that's the magic of photography. You know, anyone and like – her stuff has been copied, but like, it, does it have the magic that it, of an Annie? Oh, I don't think so. It's like mm. it's that it's that thing that she can take it to another level. 
So recently an Australian magazine on the cover showed, um, photographed Miranda Kerr, uh, totally naked. Um, Miranda Kerr, of course, is a, is a successful Australian supermodel um, on her, the balcony of her Parisian hotel room or apartment. Again, it was a last-minute thing that they decided, how about we try that? And she kind of went, sure, and it ended up being on the cover. I'm curious mm. to know what you thought of that. Um, Do you remember it at all? I don't remember it, Val. Oh, okay. Um, that's how much of an impact it made on me. <laughs> yes. But you know what? It's now been done to death. Yes, I just thought it was um, not that groundbreaking or original or – and it was – and I think the main thing is if you're going to do something like that, especially because it was on the cover of a high fashion magazine mm. – is that it needs to have an element of creativity and it just looked like a Playboy shoot or a penthouse shoot. And that's that, that that's what's so beautiful about this first one with Demi, that she because Demi said to um to Annie, I feel really beautiful and I feel really sexy and that's what I want to portray when I'm pregnant. And this was at the time, this was unheard of. If a woman was pregnant, she was supposed to be locked away and kept and that side of her was never to be shown. And that's what's so groundbreaking about this particular portrait. And really like it stopped you in your track when you saw it I remember where I was and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever and then after that it, it, it was called it, it, it even was not like when you do that type of shot it's the Demi Moore yeah sure isn't it it's been named up you know um mm-hmm. so and that's what's and but once it's been done it's been done now yeah that's right and he did it like you're not going to get it any better than that even you can light it better you can make it more beautiful but so you can take from that and take it to another level and take it somewhere else and make it your own. But how? That's up to the photographer. Mm. So before Gina gets too excited talking about Annie Leibovitz, let us move on to a different photographer (laughs) who's next on your list. I'm still going to be salivating. Oh, her Brits, yes, of course. Fantastic. another photographer that I love love and another photographer that I can tell you exactly where I was, what I was doing, what I'd just eaten and what I was wearing when I first saw this guy's work because it it was like nothing I'd never seen before and it was just like, you know, when you feel like, oh, my God, I found my people or this is home, this is it, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. All right, so tell me where you you were and what you were wearing, what you were eating (laughs) and all of those things. Tell me when you discovered her wearing, like, you know, uh, Levi 501s and uh, Doc Martin boots and a white T-shirt. I knew it was like the 90s. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I was wearing my vest in the 90s. So Herb Ritz, he actually grew up in L.A. and he um, was he came from money. So he was like, you know, I think he lived in Steve McQueen's old house, right, and he had like Hollywood neighbours. Like he grew up in that neighbourhood. So he was used to beautiful people. He was always surrounded by him. So but the, the, like the way he got his break is such a, a cool story. So he had uh, this girl that he knew uh, who uh, he, he just got a camera and he kept asking her to do a head shots and she's like nah I I don't want to do headshots and then one day he uh, was driving her boyfriend around and uh, they got a flat tire and uh, while they were fixing the flat tire her Brits decided to take shots of her boyfriend who was quite attractive as well Mm -hmm. it turns out the boyfriend was Richard Gere (laughs) 
And Richard Gere had made a movie, but it hadn't come out yet, so he was unknown. Mm-hmm. And um, Herberts took these photos and uh, gave them to Richard, thought nothing else of it. Richard Gere gave them to his publicist, who then passed them on to Vanity Fair and um, a couple of other magazines, Val. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Like, so he goes from unknown to his first editorial shoot is Vanity Fair. So you just know wow. that this guy is going to go on and do things. But, like, the way he shot, he shot with natural light. Uh, he used natural elements. But, like, Herb Ritz also was very uh, – had studied uh, art history and sculpture. And when you look at he, his male nudes, his female nudes um, – they're not sexual, they're sculptural, and yep. his images look like classical gods, yep. and you can see that he understood sculpture and art history. So see how it works? He's gone back into the past, he, and, and, and uh, like, he would use, uh, like, textures and, um, and bring those into, like, often cover the bodies in, in mud to almost make them look like statues as well. Mm. And he grew up in L.A., so he understood the light of L.A., and he could go out and he would know, the, like, the subtle little shifts in the light, and he would know the different times of the year to shoot when the light would be better and, and when it was softer and it was harder. So um, Naomi Campbell talks about how she, uh, when shooting with uh, Herb, he'd invite you around, you'd have breakfast, you'd get hair and makeup, you'd have lunch, and then you'd wander out outside at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And he liked to shoot between 3 and 6 because that was his light. And 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 like a quote about him, it's not where uh, you put the light, it's where you put the shadow. And so... Herb was a master, a master at working with hard light and just daylight. And I knew an art director that actually flew over and worked with him uh, in, in his LA studio. And uh, she said that he, he, and this was like the 90s, when, when we shot, we were shooting film, we would do Polaroids, look at them, decide on our exposure, think about it, and then go on to film. Herb just knew what he was doing and he'd just go in straight into the – he never did Polaroids, which back then, that was wow. a big that was a big deal. So um, he loved hard light and he, he was a – like I don't, I don't think there's another photographer that has mastered hard light like him and, and this guy is copied to death. It's like let's do the Herb Ritz style. Yes. And again, you can – you can get the light right. That people could maybe get it better. You can get the pose. You can get the style. But what Herb had, it's the energy that he put into the shots, the way he engaged the people. So it sounds like Gary also has a lot of energy and is getting very excited about talking about Herb Ritz as well. But also I think that when (laughs) you are shooting, now Herb Ritz shot a lot in black and white and and. I think also when you shoot in black and white, you are um, you're developing it in the darkroom. So there is some level of leeway. Well, not leeway, but you can manipulate the image in a sense when you are developing it and as you are printing them, you can dodge, you can burn, you can make things more contrasty, you can make things mm-hmm. less contrasty. So possibly the lack of Polaroid was because he knew he had some – of that control in the what was then post-production. 
Yeah, but if you're doing advertising, and he was also shooting advertising, and I think uh, in his heyday he was charging 150000 a day, Val, yeah. uh, to work with him. So advertising shoot, he would be shooting on colour transparency film. Right. There is no leeway. You can't oh, and he was wrong. he wasn't doing so Polaroid even for colour? No, on wow. an advertising shoot. That's, that's a big fantastic deal. then. So beautiful quote from Madonna, who uh, was a lifelong friend and they worked together a lot. He also directed her in uh, some video clips as well and did some beautiful photography with her. Like he talks about She talks about being herbified and uh, she says it goes a little something like this. He talks you into going to the beach, then he talks you into taking off your clothes. He talks you into dancing and frolicking in the sand like an idiot. He <laughs> talks you into getting into the free freezing cold ocean and before you know it you have sunburn you're freezing your ass off and you're sure you've just made a huge fool of yourself so okay. that she said that was her first shoot with him and she left she got in the car and she said I hate him I'm never doing that again and then he showed her the photos and they wow. went off and they worked together forever in the day she, as she said all was forgiven when she saw the shots because he was a master so this is what he did he never worked with a tripod he would uh coax and coach and and talk to people and get them to do exactly what he wanted um so he was amazing so takeaways uh learn to work with hard light be a master at connecting with people and uh and um yeah all right, well, let's move on then to Richard Avedon. He's also one of the greats, isn't he? He's amazing, yes. So um, Avedon is uh, an, a fantastic uh, fashion photographer and um, he uh, loved to um, photograph things that uh, he was afraid of. That's what he talked about. He loved to, to – uh, the, the thing that I that, – that I, about Avedon that I love is um, he talked about his uh, as fashion photography as never having a dark side. It's always light. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was a joy to do for him, but he couldn't stretch himself just doing fashion. So he loved to do his portrait uh, work because that's when he could really focus on um, uh, finding out more about his dark side and he wanted to investigate uh, photographing things uh, that he was afraid of and uh, that's where he did his portrait work. So, um, you know, he made his money and to feed his family doing the fashion stuff but it was the portraits that he, he really loved. Um, so he loved to look for a contradiction and complexity in the human faces and he was a master at learning to read faces. Um, and so uh, there's a, a shot uh, that he did with the actress Natasia Kinski, which uh, shows... Natasia. 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 <laughs> I always thought it was Natasha, but it's not. No, it's Nastasia. Yeah, she's incredible. And yes. so this image today, you think, ah, oh, yeah, it could be uh, uh, easily manipulated. But this is like uh, the real deal, this shot. Um, I've actually put a link to a YouTube video where they show uh, this shot being discussed and the making of by the editors on that shoot and uh, Richard himself. So she's lying down and they actually got a, a python right a massive python its belly is uh, quite thick uh it's huge and they've wrapped it around her body and um 
Richards managed to get the shot just as the python's head has slithered up along her body and the tongue has just reached out and licked her on her ear and it's just like and and told her at the same time while he's he's getting the shot because he said that while he was doing it um you know the 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 wrangler would be in the shot, the, the the tail would be the wrong way, the, her body would be wrong, everything would be wrong. But then just in one moment, everything comes together mm. and he just manages to get the shot just. And, and that, I mean, that takes skill to do that. And he's, and he's also managed to d- direct, how do you say her name? Nastasia. Nastasia uh, <laughs> to just hold it all together, be calm and look beautiful and she manages to pull it off. So, yes. uh, like, just amazing. So that's uh, sort of more uh, portrait and fashion work and, and then I think he went on and sold, uh, he made a poster out of that shot and it went on to sell, like, two million copies, which is uh, uh, incredible. Um, it's he, an iconic shot, absolutely it, iconic it's, shot. It's amazing. And I remember it coming out and I remember at the time being so inspired by it and I um, produced a shoot (laughs) with an actress. Um, She wasn't naked but I had to get the actress, I had to get the the snake wrangler, uh, the photographer and we shot it because the actress starred in a television show that was filmed on uh, the grounds of a school. Yeah. Yeah, it was heartbreak eye. Um, <laughs> we, we we had to find a corner of the school that, you know, people weren't around and that looked nice and everything. We found it and the snake wrangler came and he brought more than one snake. So he had one yeah. snake in one bag and snake in another bag, snake in another bag. Ugh. And he just put these bags just on the ground and I like, had to be so careful not to step in them yeah. because there was a snake there. And um, she was so calm yeah. And so she just she just really wanted to do this because obviously she'd seen this iconic shot as yeah. well. And we put the snake on her. She was in a different position, but, you know, we put the snake on her and it wrapped um, itself around her and then she lost it. She oh, really? <laughs> like we were literally about to get the shot <laughs> and she lost it and she freaked out and she threw the snake off her, which – was not oh and the God, snake no. wrangler was freaking out then because snakes go away, run away, slither away very oh, in fast a sc- in a school. In a school, oh my <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God, what was going to happen? I don't know what to do." <laughs> Fortunately, the snake wrangler managed to run after the snake and get it, <laughs> and um, and we had to finish the shot very quickly because she was about to freak out again. <laughs> Remember that movie Snakes on a Plane? Yes. <laughs> it's like that. It's like a show. Anyway, there's all these snakes loose in the school. It sounds like a, a – Yeah, a, lovely. Like the sequel to, to Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, ridiculous. But anyway, um, I didn't work with snakes again after that. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Yes. Uh, back to Richard. So the other thing that he did uh, in exploring like his dark side was he did these uh, incredible portraits. So they say that like when you take a portrait of someone, there is definitely a part of the photographer in that portrait. And uh, so he, he would often photograph people in a way that, that they'd never been seen before and he'd show their dark side, but it was also like trying to discover something about him. Um, so there's also um, a whole series he did of his dying father, which are, are pretty – 
like, uh, you know, amazing, amazing shots as well. Uh, and then there's an iconic image, which is, I think, one of the 10 uh, most uh, expensive like it's got the highest price, which is Dovima with elephants, and it's an iconic one. And they actually yeah. Barbie just copied it. That did you see those shots where <laughs> like Bar- Barbie doing the most iconic Barbie the doll? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did Barbie post in front of two elephants. Oh my god, it's very funny. But looks like yeah, that, that's an incredible shot. And for the time, it was uh, groundbreaking. You'd see it done now. There'd be like a, a different sky dropped in, and uh, you know there'd be a thousand elephants, I guess. But you know, for its time, it, it's it's quite elegant and uh, and beautiful. So, what can we learn from Avedon? Well, he. This is the thing. I think a great portrait photographer really does know how to read uh, another person, how to read faces, how to look for that that subtle shift in energy or mood, and know when to take um, to take the photo. He, uh, Avedon talks about that in another life he might have been a mind reader, um, and so a, a great portrait photographer knows how to connect with their model. Um, and uh, knows the difference between a real and a fake emotion. So you're sifting through, you're seeing the cheesy smile, but you're waiting for that moment where they're caught off guard and that's when you want to shoot. You want to try and get uh, like a piece of that person when, and, and so they've got to let you in, so you've just got to wait for that right moment. So I recommend that a really good exercise to do to just to really tune in to those subtle little things and it's something I think that you can learn but you've just got to be on the lookout for it is to uh, practice with friends and family and even strangers and uh, just um, by the way they're presenting themselves and when they're speaking to them, are they being authentic or are they just going through the motions? So if someone, you're having a conversation with someone and you ask them how they are and they say they're good, are they lying? Are they putting up a front? Is it real? Uh, look for it. See if you can see the subtle and it's little micro expressions. But if you really tune into it, you can you can learn to pick it up. And I think uh, it's an excellent skill for a portrait photographer to develop. Great. Okay. So let's move on. Who's our next photographer? Okay. So um, the last one I've got, uh, Val, is uh, Robert Frank. And so I've got a couple of fantastic quotes for him. Um, This one uh, I absolutely love is, uh, where'd he go? Uh, When people look at my pictures, I want them to feel the way they do when they want to read a line of a poem twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. What okay. a beautiful, beautiful quote. Um, yeah. And another one from him is, black and white are the colours of photography. To me, they symbolise the alternatives of hope and despair to which mankind is forever subjected. So um, the exhibition that uh, you and I went to see uh uh, in the States, Val, back in 2010, was based on a series of shots that Franks did in uh, 1955 and 56. Yep. He went off on a road trip and he drove up and down America for a, uh, across and the country. We, we saw that at the Met, the, the, yes, the, yes. where the Gossip Girl can, girls I, always I, sit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever music that that's exactly what we said when we were on that. It's like Gossip Girl. I don't think Gossip Girl was out then, was it? Yeah, it must have been. Was it? Okay, uh, uh, yeah, because I think we go. Are we on the Upper East Side now? The Museum of <laughs> the Metropolitan Museum of Art. 
And uh, it was like our first day there, so we were possibly very jet-lagged. Yeah. Um, but it was an incredible, and I think I was more excited than you were on the day uh, too, Val. But, yeah, so he went on and he took like thousands of shots on this road trip and uh, he produced a book back then, but then they did this uh, this exhibition of his work. So um, amazing uh and it changed the way that, like, Americans were portrayed. It was like he managed to capture, like, in, in um, like, Life magazines and all those magazines in the, in the mid-50s, uh, America was portrayed as, like, post-war America, this beautiful place, the American dream, you know, everything was set up and beautiful and gorgeous. And then Franks comes along and captured this sort of this bleak, disengaged, isolated sort of, you know, it sort of blew everyone um, uh, away. And he, he developed this uh, beautiful template in his shots where um, he'd have maybe one or two people in an image and then they'd be isolated by elements uh, in their environment, like a window of a car or a doorway. And these became like metaphors for lonely people sort of trapped in social situations. So um, he, the thing about his work and that like put a lot of people off about his work and I think he missed out on being uh, uh, selected as a magnum photographer because of this was the way that um, he he shot, the, he, he didn't frame his work, it wasn't clean framing, it almost looked like, uh, and he, he would cut off heads, he'd split bodies, he shot at funky angles mm. and um, it, it, like they it was like a, the it was sloppy um and and kind of emotional and uh, at the time the acceptable pictures were really sharp and mm. technically excellent and so but but his his pictures captured something and it was in that way that they were shot uh that that, that he did that which, which was so amazing so um in terms of uh, the the takeaways uh, from Robert Frank's uh, Frank is uh, is um, you want to isolate. Could the, what he did so beautifully was he'd isolate what was most important part of the image. So he'd often. Um, uh, maybe just uh, tune into like you just see legs in a shot, and he'd cut the heads off because they weren't important in the image. Um, mm. He broke rules, and um, he would change the angle of view. Uh, and uh, he 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 talked about like uh, Cartier Bresson when he mm. when he shot the decisive moment. Uh, Robert Franks was the indecisive moment, so it looked like he wasn't even bothering to look through the viewfinder. He yes. just snapped. So there's that energy in all his shots. That sort of that that like it just it, he didn't plan for it to happen. It just yeah. happened, and yeah. that's what I think is so exciting about his work. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very unique style. It really is. And uh, at the time it would have been like everyone would have gone, oh, my God, it's brand, you know. And But what is it that's so special about the shot? It's it's the, the subject, the way he's captured yeah. it. And it, it's like it's not always about everything being lined up and precise, you know. Like I look at stuff and uh, I kind of – it does my head in a little bit because I go, oh, my God, the lines are not straight and all that. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't mm. matter. Wow. I really enjoyed listening to all of this and talking to you about all this. It makes me want to go to more photography exhibitions with you. It makes you want to just go and take – I'd like uh, – it's inspired me uh, mm. even, uh, you know, 
writing the, up the show notes for this week. I'm going, oh, my God, I want to shoot like all of them now. I want to mm. go and do a Herbridge shoot. And so what uh, my challenge uh, to everyone uh, for this week is, and I think this is a great thing to do, is find a master. Find someone who, and you'll know when you see it, like yeah, you, you can hear how I talk about Herbritz and Annie and, you know, I like I adore their work. Find that work and find that person and see if you can um, be them for a day or for five minutes and try and get in their head and shoot something in that style that they shot and try and, and see what the what, yeah. What so get out so of don't it. don't necessarily try and reproduce one of their shots, but try and channel them for the day. Yes. Yes. And see what you can do when you're channeling them and just adopting their style for the day. Yes. Yeah, what a great idea. Mm. I love it. So that's the, the Gina challenge. Is yeah, master. hashtag Gina hashtag challenge. Masters. Yep, hashtag Gina challenge is hashtag masters. And if you are new to this podcast, every week we have a hashtag Gina challenge and we pick a theme or topic. This week, of course, is masters. And you can interpret that however you like. If you have um, drawn inspiration from a particular master, do mention that master as well in social media or in the podcast community. And if you are in the gold community, we'd love to see your shots in there as well. A big hello to everyone in the gold community. There are about 500 of you in there. It's fantastic to see such a dynamic and amazing group of people in the gold community, which you can find at ginamilitia.com. And the gold community receive regular tutorials, uh, video tutorials, and also um, screencasts of Gina retouching photos, uh, as well as photo critiques, and a regular monthly live mastermind where you can ask Gina all sorts of questions. Mm. And if you if you miss the mastermind that's recorded for everyone to um you an archive so you can look at all of the ones in the past as well so that brings us almost to the end of this week's episode gina what have you got on this week so uh it's corporate week this week so corporate shooting and um i'm uh putting the finishing touches on our course val so nearly ready to go with that that's exciting um and uh testing out a couple of new bits of gear which i'll report back to everyone once i've got my head around them so i kind of need to like take uh, a half day to go off and and i do this a lot val I, i have to just take time off to test new stuff and uh and uh, see if it works in in my workflow. So yeah, I've got some uh, new bits that I'm, I want to play with. So uh, big big week, exciting. What are you doing? What am I doing? I've actually got a couple of conferences, two different conferences back to back, which I am heading off to. So I'll be in seminar rooms, Gina. <laughs> All right, tra- are you travelling? I am. They're not too far away though. They're still in this state, so oh, okay, cool. so that's okay. So that and excellent. That's, so I'll be busy, but I and therefore I probably will not have time to try out. See, I'm I have uh, adopted the behaviours of the rest of the podcast community. It seems I've also Are you buying stuff. Made, well, I made a purchase. I've bought. You will not be surprised, Gina. Another you tripod. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You bought a tripod. I must what? have a thing for you them. You didn't even talk to me. What did you know, get? I must you have didn't a ask thing. Me. I, what I'll did show you. Buy? I'll bring you. I'll show you. What I'll is show it? it to you. I'll show it to you and then you'll see. 
I, uh, yeah, I'll show it to you. Um, so I won't have time really to try that one out because I'll be at um, some work oh. conferences. But you can tell me how good it is or how crap it is when I <laughs> when I see you. I it's it. actually ideal for what you have said before for the time lapse stuff. Oh, it's, okay. Because it's a small it's you, one. Uh, it's for an it's, iPhone one. Yes. Is it? Small one for the time-lapse stuff because I got inspired by I can't really rest my iPhone on a shoe no. <laughs> all the time because I no. can't be bothered taking my Minion cover off. Yeah. So this way I can um, – it, it could work. We'll see. Maybe right. maybe the daily time-lapses will be a thing. Fantastic. Mm. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, where do we find you online, Gina? So you can see me uh, at ginamilitia.com. Uh, uh, so Did you forget? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I might misspell my first name because I've had many misspellings of my first name. So people spell it G-E-E-N-A-J. It's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. So ginamilitia.com. I'm uh, – Twitter uh, at Gina Militia and Instagram uh, at Gina Militia. And you'll find me at you'll find me at Valerie Koo. That's K H O O on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Just search for Valerie Koo on Facebook. I'm the Valerie Koo on Snapchat. And Gina, I will have to say, you need to have a word with Siri. Why Siri? Because I talk to Siri to message you. And, yeah, she um, can't spell my name. I know you sent me name. a text and then you apologise. I'm like, what the? You've known me for 20 <laughs> years, Val. You can spell my name. And then you sent me another text. That was Siri. I didn't. I did. I was text, you know, the voice. But that voice to text is really good. I know, right? But so really good. If you do have a text from me in the future with your name misspelled, it's because I've got Siri to do it. But I think you, you yeah. and Siri should have a chat. You should have yeah. it out with her. Yeah. Yeah, sure. tell her a few things. (laughs) All right, thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.